Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Thank you, James. Annette sends her greeting. She's away with her uh, four sisters. She was brought up in a home with five girls and two boys, so... Definitely, they ran the show. I mean, whenever you go, they, they run the show. I know right now, without even asking or calling, they're having fun. And so they're away having fun right now, and, and I'm here um, just hanging out with guys. And uh, it's not as fun, but uh, it's good to see everybody. It really is. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to begin a new series. I've looked forward to this series for quite some time. The series just is entitled simply, The Story. You know, testimonies have always been a powerful way of communicating, and behind the best-selling products around the world are testimonies of people who have, um, who have successfully used a particular product. For example, there's the story of a young man named Mr. Fogel, who, while in college, weighed over 400 pounds. Uh, desperate to lose weight, short on money, he did the only thing a college student could do. He ate every meal every day at a fast-food restaurant that was close to his dorm room. And miraculously, he lost weight. He went from 400 pounds down to 190 pounds. Mr. Fogel has a powerful story, or as we know him today, Jared the Subway guy. I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Subway, when they brought on his story, went from a $4 billion company to an $8 billion company. In fact, Jared himself is worth over $15 million. They pulled his ad for about one year, and Subway lost in excess of about 15% of their revenue. Powerful stories. Testimonies are powerful things that we want to pay attention to. And really what we're talking about is paying attention to the story that God has given us. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about our stories and the influence that your story carries in life. He said, your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives, and we publish it. And then John the Revelator said this. He said, and they overcame, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that's why we're going to spend several months studying the Bible arranged in the story as one ongoing narrative. Now, I'm excited about this. I'm excited because we get to do this together as a church family. We haven't done it for quite some time. And I mean a church family. That's from the youngest to the oldest. And I want to encourage all of you, if you're in a small group, if you get together as a family during the course of a week, that you would take what we study here on the weekend, take the material, Material that's available to you and begin just to study the story and we'll do it all together. In fact, we have some material made available to you at the Resource Center. Nancy and Skip Palma will be glad to greet you and just, just, just tell them what you need and they will, uh, they will, they'll give you what you need. And so use this material and really, really get into this. Dive into this. We want to do it together because I think there's power in doing this together. We believe that the Bible is God's word. And we believe God's word is powerful. This is the one and only book that can bring true 
purpose to your life, true transformation to your life. And that's why we teach the Bible. And that's why you'll hear us say, open your Bibles every weekend. Open your Bibles. Let's look at what God has to say to us to give us the direction we need, the wisdom we need, the hope we need in life. And we see that. And, and, and when we study this as one story, you're going to discover how it all comes together. I want to give you a few things that you should know. Number one, your story matters to God. Remember that. Your story matters to God great place that you see that is in Luke chapter 24. It's the place where Jesus comes alongside some men that are on the road to Emmaus. And they just begin to talk to Jesus about Jesus. They don't know who he is, but they're just telling their story about how Jesus affected and influenced their life. So Jesus is someone that we talk about, but, but God wants to hear your story. It's important. Other people want to hear your story. Secondly, God's story is all about Jesus. Whether you know it or not, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it's really about redemption, and it's about who redeemed us. The person that redeemed you and me is Jesus Christ. And, and, and I'm so thankful for that story. That he's given me that story. Even before I knew the Lord Jesus, he took the story that I had before him, before I had a relationship with him, and he made it a redemptive story. The same way that he works with you. There's stories that God puts together in your life, and he's masterful at this. God's story is all about Jesus. Then, God's story is still being written. Not, not in the Bible, we, we know that, but it's still being written in you. It's re- being written in your life. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we read it earlier, he's writing it on the tables of your heart. He's doing that by the power and work of his Holy Spirit. And so today, let's start at the beginning of God's story, and that's found in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 together. Now, I want to I uh, set you up just a little bit here because when we study stories of creation, we always have a different perspective or we can take a particular perspective. This morning, I want us to look at the story of creation not from a scientific point of view, not from a philosophical point of view. I want to look at the creation story today from a relational point of view. Now, maybe you've never looked at the creation story that way. Maybe when you've read it, you've looked at it a lot of different ways, but you've never looked at it as a story where God's wanting to relate to you, that God is wanting to encourage you and and partner with you in this journey, uh, this journey we call life and certainly of creation. Listen to what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless. It was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When I read these two verses, it tells me some things about God. Some things that we don't always attribute to God or think that it's so amazing about God. And when you read something about creation, you think about a lot of things. But I don't know if you've ever thought that this story would teach you that God is a worker. That God is really at work, that God is busy, and and that he has been working since the very beginning of the universe. Here we begin and we understand about what God is doing and the kind of work that he's doing. We're told that in the beginning, he created. Now, I want you to understand a little bit about the word created. It means more than just what we think. In the Bible, there are really two words for the word create or created. One is the word ex nihilo. 
I love to say that word. I like that word. Ex nihilo. It's fun to repeat. Simply means this. That God takes nothing and makes something. So he makes something out of nothing. Where do we see that? It's when he spoke the universes into existence. There wasn't anything. He spoke and there was. The other word for create is the word bara. Which means he created something out of something. Where do we see that in the creation story? Well, he took the, the dust of the earth, mud, if you will, and he created man. So there was something there, and he made something out of something. So you see how God works, and when we understand the word creation, it makes the story even deeper. But it's more than just making something out of nothing or something out of something. It also means organizing. It also means giving function and purpose to various parts Uh, Where there was chaos, he brings order. Where there was emptiness, what does he do? He brings fullness. Where there was darkness, he he brings light. And that's just the beginning. There was more work to be done, six more days to be exact. Here's what is amazing, and remember, God's work gives us a great model as we partner with him. A model to do what? A model to work. Did you ever think that when you were reading this story that he was actually modeling work for you? That he was saying, hey, this is, a, this is a great template, this is a great blueprint for your life and how you go about your life and how you work. And he wants to partner with us here. Creation required intelligence. It required intentionality. It required logic. It required skill. We read that God spoke, God gathered, God set in place, and God made. Now, look how partnership is modeled in creation. Look at verse 1. In verse 1, it tells us that God the Father started this work. He initiated the process of creation. Go down to verse 2, and it tells us that God the Spirit was present hovering over the waters. And then in the New Testament, it tells us that God the Son was the agent through whom all things were made. So you see this collaborative effort. You see this Partnership, all three members of the Godhead participated in the work of creation. This was collaborative. This was teamwork. And God said after all this, he said, it is good. Now, what do I take away from that in relationship? What do I take away from that as far as someone, the Godhead here, modeling work for me? Well, it shows me that that God loves it when people get together when they come together they have a plan they execute a plan to see especially the kingdom expand where it glorifies God it says here that God says this is good he rejoices when he sees things like this so let me offer this observation we know the God had worked together to create and this is why God is delighted when we work together to glorify him so the opposite must be something that God despises. Now you have to think about this. What is the opposite here? Well, the opposite is found in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and here it is, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
What God is saying there is he despises that. Why? Because it's the antithesis of teamwork. It's the antithesis of a collegial effort to get something done. There are no solo flyers in the kingdom of God. What he's saying here is I want you to work together to get things done. And when you do that, your greatest efforts come out. Where one can put a thousand to flight, two can put how many to flight? Ten thousand. Do you see the exponential effect that has? Matthew 18 is a, is a great passage of scripture, and oftentimes we use a verse in there to, to quote the importance that God puts on prayer. And I think it's a great model for prayer, but it's not in the context of prayer. You know the scripture where it says, um, when two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there And I've heard it used all my life as a model for prayer. And I think it's great. It's a great model for for prayer. But it's not the context of that scripture. The context of that scripture is this. When two or three get together and there's conflict and they choose to work it out as a team, it says, I will be there. My presence will be there. Do you you get the picture? Do Do you see what God is passing on to us today? The job wasn't finished here, though, when you look back. There was still more work to be done. God creates man in verse 26. Now, notice two things here. First, human beings were made in God's image to reflect his nature, his attributes, and his ability to work. And I don't want us to forget that. We were designed by God to work in the same ways that he works. Now, when we look at this concept of work... It's a value, a core value that God obviously has in Scripture. Some of us like that and some of us don't. There's some of us that really love to work. In fact, you're probably working a little too much and you need to take a a Shabbat, a, a Sabbath. You need to rest. Some of you don't work enough. So you have to look at that and say, well, what is it? What is it that I need to do? I mean, I see this reflected in my kids. I don't, some of them, work doesn't come natural. It doesn't. It really doesn't. One of my kids, about 10 or 15 years ago, we were all in the yard. Our whole family were cleaning up. It was spring cleaning. And I handed a broom to one of my children. And I said, I want you to sweep the gutter out. And uh, I turned, and no more than 10 seconds went by. And I looked back, and I saw no child. I saw a broom, an empty, vacant broom, just laying in the street. And I thought, what happened here? And so I got that child back. I said, pick that broom up. You need to sweep the gutters out. Well, this was a protest. You could see that there was a standoff. And this child looked at me and said, gutters are supposed to be dirty. Why are you making me do this? I think my granddaughter feels similar. She has some of the same feelings. It's amazing what can happen. The other day, we were getting ready to wrap up our evening together. Families were going in different directions. And Grandma just said, Ella, I want you to pick up the blocks, pick up the toys, pick up your dolls. All of a sudden, this, this amazing thing happens. She comes down with a terrible stomachache right at that moment. It's amazing. She just laid down on the floor going, oh, oh. I, I think it's work, you know, allergic to work. Nonetheless... God says we need to learn how to work. Why? Because he worked. He worked on our behalf. He did something for us. Secondly, notice that God intended those human beings to carry on the work that he began. The instruction that he gives is is this, to subdue, to increase, to multiply, to have dominion over What he's telling us is that we're partnered here. And that's what I love about creation. What he's doing is he's saying right from the very beginning, I want you to be involved. 
right? From the very beginning, I want you to take ownership in the things that I do. And how many know that when you're invited into something and you take ownership, you put your hands into something, you start working, that you, you buy into it, that, that it's something that you enjoy after a while? I, I know that's true for me. One of the greatest teachers in my life is my father, great coach, grew up under his leadership and his tutelage. He was a great athletic coach. He was a great teacher in the classroom. And one thing that I recognize that great teachers understand, they know, and they practice, and that's this. They lead their students right up to that threshold of discovery, and then they back away and let the student own the new truth. Let the student understand. It's not about the teacher. I've heard teachers say, yeah, I taught them that. Yeah, I was the one who helped them there. I was the one who mentored. I've heard coaches do the same thing. Listen, good, true coaches and teachers will never say anything like that. Because good, true teachers and coaches, what they do is it's all about the student. It's all about the athlete. It's all about the person that they're training, that they discover, that they hold on. And that's what God is doing here for us. He's inviting you into something. He's saying, hey, I want you to be part of a process. Come in, be part of this. What happens? We're in it with God. We're partnering with God. I love that. It says that God rested on the seventh day, but he didn't quit. (laughs) The word create shows up again and again in scriptures to describe God's God's continued activity. Did you know that? I I love it. We think about it just as as a Genesis word or an Old Testament word, but it's a word that's found in the New Testament as well mainly referring to our spiritual development and growth. Old has gone, the new has come. That, there's, there you got one right there. You look through the transforming work of God's Holy Spirit and you recognize that God is still about creating. He's working something in you. There's transformation happening in your life. God loves that. He loves that kind of work. Then you look at the Garden of Eden and you recognize that it was perfect. It was everything that God intended it to be in the moment that he made it. But it wasn't everything it could be. The world God created was good, but it wasn't done. Are you getting the picture? The world was perfect, but it wasn't perfected. Why? Because God invited you to be part of that process. Remember several years ago, does anybody recognize this object in the picture that I'm showing you right here? Yeah, that's the old phone, man. That thing came out. I remember, I remember when that thing came out, and it just it was like it was like a suitcase. I mean, you had to carry that thing around. First old phone that I saw like that was our sound guy, Steve Gustafson, carried that around. And I used to ask him, can, can I can I hold it? You know, and, and can I I'm gonna put it in my back pocket and borrow it, you know? Who ever thought about borrowing a phone? You know, I wanna and, and you know, back then when you saw one of those, you thought, well, what can be that important? I mean, that you would want to wanna talk at a soccer game to somebody. You want to talk at a, at a community event. Why, why do you want a phone to do that? Go home. You know, go home and use a phone. And by the way, we have telephone booths. Just drop a, a dime in there and make the call. You don't, you don't need one of those. Well, when it was made, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to be a phone. It was supposed to be something that you communicated with. Now, Apple's come up with something different. These are called iPhones. These aren't phones. These are computers. I mean, they do everything. These things will tell you what the weather is. There's all kind. Of, and then what my favorite is, you could take, you can take pictures with it. Now, if I took your picture and you're in the witness protection program, come up to me afterwards. 
we'll delete this. And by the way, it's a confidentiality. You don't, I won't tell anyone else, okay? But, but you can do a lot of things with this. See, what's happened here is the phone in its original state was good for what it was meant to do then. But you see how it's developed. Now, I can't imagine the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years what this is going to be like. I, I don't know. I hope they come up with a phone that goes in your shoe like Get Smart. I've always wanted one like that. But they're going to come up with something. I know it's going to be better. I don't know. It's going to be littler. It's going to be something you can hold on to. I don't know. Maybe, maybe even an implant of some sort. Now, Pastor Al's the first to get in line for those. Do you know that? That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Pastor Al still has, serious, has the flip phone. He will have nothing to do with this because it has a navigational device in it. And so uh, he wants to hide when he wants to hide, I'll tell you that. But, but who knows? I don't know what these are going to have down the road. But you see what's going on here? You see, God made the world with our partnership in mind. That he intended for us to use our knowledge, our skill, our connections to make the world all that it, he intended it to be. When we do that, our, our work is good because it glorifies God. Whatever you can contribute. So how do you make the world work the way God intends for it to work? I mean, how how do I contribute to that? Uh, I'll tell you how. That you understand and know the purpose of which you were created. And that you take your skills, your abilities, your resources, and you contribute those. Not hold on to those. Not, not, to, not to contribute to gain something, but contribute those to your family, to the workplace, to the church. That you give those resources to others so others can be blessed. That's how you make the world you live in a better place that glorifies God. See, so when you take that, when you have those resources, don't hold on to them. This is what we have a, a tendency to do. When we define work... Uh, I hear people do this, especially guys. Guys, we're kind of in this. We compartmentalize. We do things like this. We make an artificial distinction between sacred work and secular work. We've done that. A A distinction between God's work and our work. But the Bible tells us that all work is God's work if we're contributing it in a way that helps others and glorifies him. Let me tell you why this is important. When you divide your work into the secular and sacred, you really aren't getting things done at the strength that God wants it to be done. I I had this great opportunity and privilege here and have for about 25 years to work with a lot of you entrepreneurs, the guys and gals of this church that start businesses, and some of them I've been with for 20 and 25 years, incredibly successful what God has done. And I just come in and just talk a little bit about leadership structures and those kinds of things. And one of the first things that I say, one of the fundamental values that you have to hold dear to is your work is not compartmentalized. When you go to work, it is not secular. It is sacred there as much as it is sacred here. That wherever you go, it's sacred. See, we think, well, we feed the poor. That's sacred. Well, we go and we work as an electrician. That's secular. No, it's all sacred. It's all God's work. Are you getting this? I hope you get this truth. Because when you get this truth, it dramatically, it's simple, but it can dramatically change your life and the way that you live. You start to live with greater integrity. You start to live with greater purpose when you understand this. Not only helping others, even more, if the work is helping you become all God intends you to be. Isn't that true? 
that a lot of the things that God asks us to do, we think it's about other people, and certainly God has other people in mind, but it's about perfecting you too. It's about knocking off those rough edges. It's about making you more excellent in the ways of the Lord. I remember the first time I was asked to teach a a Sunday school class. It was, a, I think, a second or third grade Sunday school class. I was about 15 years old, and I thought, I'm going to go in there and tell them everything I know. Take about three minutes. But you know, at 15 years old, you still think you can you know, kill the world, you, you can conquer. You know. Well, what I understood was this, that by me teaching, taking that responsibility, there was more work done in my heart, in my life, and the disciplines that God asked me to do than there was in those students. I know that for sure. And that's true still today. You still today, when I, when I study something like this, I put something together like this, I think, oh man, God, you keep working on me, man. You keep plumbing the depths. And I've told you this before, I think God has me doing this because before I became a Christian, I would have never gone to church. I would have never walked through the doors of a church. And now I'm in church three times every weekend. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna make you go three times. That's what I'm going to do. See, most of you just need to go once, and you're good. You're good to go. But he looked at me, and he said, no, 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 no. I won't be once. not going to be twice. I'm letting you. You're going to go three times. I remember one time I was putting my message together, and it's, you know, I was not a great student, so putting this together was a lot of, uh, of labor, hopefully a labor of love. And I would put it together, and I'd write it out. See, I still do it on these. Everyone, I'm, it's archaic. I still do it on yellow notepad. See that right there? I still do it that way. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and I can't change because God won't let me change. And I say, man, I'd I just like to do it a different way. Can I just get up and shoot from the hip? And the Lord said, no, you can't do that. I'm not going to let you do that. And, and I, was, I was kind of bemoaning this, you know. And the Lord, you know what the Lord said to me? He said, you know what? You keep doing that. And just think of it this way. You get to do a book report on me every week. I mean, how many people get to do that? A book report on God and then talk about it? Beats science, man. It beats other subjects. So this is what I do every week. We have so many, don't we, examples of people throughout our biblical history, throughout American history, throughout our own personal history, individuals, men or women, who have changed the course of the world. They've changed the course of people's lives. Why? Because they chose to contribute their gifts, their skills to others. I'm thinking it'd be fitting this weekend. We're celebrating the, the, the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. And I think of him. I think of somebody who, who just started out in, a, in an era, in a time when the country, uh, they, they didn't accept people of color. They couldn't eat in certain restaurants. They couldn't attend certain schools. They couldn't live in certain neighborhoods. They couldn't pursue certain careers. Then along comes this individual who knew that he was going up against a horrible system. A minister by profession called to be trained in the word of God, preach the gospel, teach the Bible, serving the church. He did those things well, but God had this special work for Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King didn't... He didn't like the way that the world was going and the way the world was. So what did he do? He contributed. He gave the gifts that he had. And man, I'll tell you, what he did was he helped change. He introduces this concept of nonviolent resistance, at least to our country, our nation. I grew up during that time. I remember seeing those marches. I remember thinking, what in the world's going on here? This person is changing. It was good. I, I liked what I saw. 
I remember my father was so great. He said, now, there are people all through history that will come along every now and again, and they'll bring change to their nation, to their people, to their cultures. We have a lot of examples of people who do this. People who can use their connections with politicians, clergymen to put pressure on our nation's leading industries and institutions. That's exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. did. But then we can melt it all down. And we can say this, resident in each one of you is the same ability to change your world. The same ability to change your culture. The question is, are you saying yes to God? Are you walking with him through this creative process that he's doing with you? Are you partnering with him or do you resist him? Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you just sit down and say, God, I'm not going to do anything. I've been hurt. I, I, I don't have the strength. I mean, there's, I can't speak well. All kinds of excuses. God's heard them all. There's nothing you can say to him that he hasn't already heard. But you say, Lord, I, I just want to contribute. Now, now think about the work we can do today. The creative work of God that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I think this is what happened. I think in Matthew chapter 28, there was something being rewritten. Jesus said to his disciples, now go and make disciples. What he's saying, go and let's create something that needs to be created. A spiritual kingdom. A spiritual dynamic now. He says, oh yeah, but you got to do one thing. you got to go to this room you got to wait. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, and when... When you've waited, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit on you. He's going to endue you with power so you can continue the process of creation. Seeing the old become new. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. Do you see the picture? You're all part of that. He's invited you to be part of that. He wants you to be part of that. I want you to do this. I want you to just bow your heads with me if you would. And think about this. Let's go work and make disciples. It's part of the creative process, something that God has called us to do. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. God never asks you to do something that you can do in your own strength. Get that. I hope you understand that. He typically is inviting us to do things that we can't do in our own strength. So it's way over our head. I mean, really, it's over our head. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, the infilling, the power of God's Spirit in our life. So today, I hope you do that. I hope you... Invite the power of God's spirit to fill you, to refresh you, to continue to make you a new creation in him. We have been given the invitation. There's this open door. We've been invited to be part of a creative process. Creation. God wants to partner with you to see that happen. Father, we want to thank you today for the amazing blessing of your Holy Spirit that you've invited us, partnered with us, modeled for us what it means to work and be part of something that's bigger than ourselves, something that continues to grow and expand as your kingdom does. We thank you for that. We give you all the honor, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.